And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman, with me as always is the great Prashant Iyer, and we've got a fun episode on tap today. It's going to be kind of our Swedish spotlight episode. Really, that is where all the action in the entire Red Wings organization is right now. They've got uh, two top prospects, three top prospects, and Lucas Raymond, Moritz Seider, and Joe Valeno over there. If you want to throw Jonathan Berggren, who is absolutely on fire to start the season, he's there. They just drafted a couple more Swedes in Theodore Niederbach. William Wallander, Albert Johansson is there, Gustav Berglund, Elmer Soderblom, Albin Greva. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, And so we're going to spend the whole episode today just talking about all the action in Sweden. And that starts with a guest appearance from the Red Wings Director of Player Development, Sean Horkoff. So we will start there. And then uh, Prashant and I will talk a, a lot more about all the Swedes. All right. Welcome to the show. Uh, first ever appearance on Wings for Breakfast. Red Wings Director of Player Development, Sean Horkoff. Sean, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So so we're doing kind of a, a Swedish spotlight episode today, considering all the guys you have over in Sweden right now. And wanted to start with some of the new guys you just added in. And how, how much do you know about Lucas Raymond and Theodore Niederbach's games just from spending so much time around for Lunda last season with Elmer Soderblom? Right. Well, that's kind of the advantage for us is, you know, obviously, and we had Gustav Berglund there as well. And even before yep. that, Christopher in my first year, Gustav Lindstrom. So we're very familiar with the Fulund organization. Um, having seen both Peter Block and Raymond play last year, I'm excited to join or to have them join us. Um, you know, they're both obviously, you know, uh, Lucas is, 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 is highly skilled, a highly touted winger. Um, that's been, uh, you know, his name has been out there as, as a top pick for many years now. So, you know, there's no, not a lot of secret uh, with him, but I think with Theodore, you have a guy that you know was injured a little bit uh, a couple of years back. It had a tough injury that, that, that took him a little while to get over, but is off to a fantastic start this year. He's almost at two points a game uh, in the junior league. He's got lots of skill. You know, he's a right-handed centerman. Uh, we're really excited to get him when we get. Yeah, let's start with Theodore. I mean, what what is kind of the upside that you see him bringing potentially long term uh, to the Red Wings system? Well, offense. You know, I think that's what he, uh, he was, you know that, that's what he's viewed as. Um, you know, he's a guy that's uh, very creative, um, good vision, real good sense. I think that's the one thing that stands out. Even when you talk to the people that are in the organization, uh, Freddie Schuster, who played in the NHL and is the general manager for the uh, the men's team. Uh, say he has some of the best sense he's ever seen and, 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 and included in that organization. They've had a lot of really, really high-end talent come through there. So um, that's uh, no small uh, no small feat for, you know, to, to have your general manager say something like that about, your, you know, about yourself as a player. So 
Um, you know, like I said, he's still young though. He's got a lot of strength to put on, but he's, he's worked hard this off season. Um, and you know, he's got, he's got a lot of offensive upside. Yeah. When you have a player like Lucas and, and it's obviously a, a player that the organization has invested a high pick in, where, where do you start kind of when, when you set up, you know, charting out what his development path looks like? I know part of it's obviously handled by the club there, but like day after draft day, you wake up and, and, and what do you do next? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost is, is it's a little bit different this year because in a normal sure. world, all these guys are in a plane and coming ready for development camp. And that's great because, you know, we get a, we get a, almost a full week with them. We get five days with them. Uh, you really start to get to know the player. The player itself really gets to know the organization. There's a lot of people that go into development. You know, we have uh, we have a nutritionist. We have a skills coach. We have skating coaches. Um, you know, the physical side, obviously hiring Mike Barwis in the sports and conditioning uh, side there's a lot of people that are involved in that so there's you know it's not just you know dan myself and and nicholas cromwell that uh that have you know directly input in these guys there's a lot of other people so i think what we did this year was we right off the bat we got a zoom call on uh set up a zoom call with all of our draft picks uh and just kind of went through everyone you know and who they can expect to get calls from and, and be in contact with um that's usually what you know what we did this year is we had our skating coaches and and our strength and conditioning coach, Rob Campbell, Detroit, reach out to all of them and all their strength coaches and skill coaches that they're working with in their respective teams uh, just to check in and see where they're at. You know, not everyone's playing right now. Obviously, we have a pretty strong uh, European influence in the draft. Um, so a lot of these guys are playing. But for the guys from North America, we just want to make sure that what they're doing now is the right thing to get them uh, ready, prepared for whenever the season may start. Yeah, absolutely. What have your thoughts been of Lucas's start to the season so far in the SHL? I think it's been good. I mean, that SHL is probably, you know, my opinion is really is probably the third best league in, in the world. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a high-skilled league. Um, it's a very good league. It's difficult to produce offense in that league. And I think he's just under – half a point a game. He's got three goals and a couple assists here in nine games. Um, but I think with Lucas is, is it's, it, it, you know, consistency, like any other young player, you know, some games and some shifts, he looks like the world beater that should dominate that league. And then there's times where he kind of goes away for a little bit, but, um, and I, I wouldn't say go away is probably the wrong sure. word, but just don't know as, 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 as much as you'd like to, I think, uh, offensively. And, uh, but that's, Listen, like I said, that the consistency is a very difficult thing to learn, especially at a young age, and you know, it's hard for even pros as they get older. So uh, that's to no surprise, but we're going to work on that with him. And I think as he gets bigger and stronger, uh, he's going to be able to, to, to do that a lot more often. Yeah. Ferlunda seems to produce so much talent over there, and you you already ran down all the guys you guys have had just in the last few years from them. What do you think they do well as an organization in, in development that that kind of leads to that output. Anything you've noticed over the years? Well, they just have a great model. I think there's, you know, one thing that they, they first off, they have fantastic facilities. Um, you know, everything that you could possibly need to, to train from nutrition to, you know, the, the workout room. Um, they have skating coaches, skill coaches. Uh, they just have a really good infrastructure in terms of, of what you would need to, uh, to develop your players. And I think secondly, they have, a, they have a great relationship with their J20 team, J20 and J18. It's, it's pretty seamless. I know all the coaches constantly talk. Um, they do a real good job of moving guys up and down from whichever leagues, you know, they, 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 uh, it's not like you're just, if you're a J20 player and you're doing very well, you will get a chance yeah. on the on the men's team. You know what I mean? Like you might not play lots, but you're still going to get up there and get a chance. 
Um, they have a, they have a great tradition of winning there, which I think goes a long ways in development. Uh, they have a, a winning mindset. You know, they always want to. They feel like every year they have a chance, at least since I've been around, at, at winning the championship. Um, and they have good talent. They have good talent in their junior ranks. So uh, obviously, when you have talent and, and proper development, it just feeds your men's team, uh, which is, is what the key to long-term success is. So. Um, you know, we, we have, they have good people working for them and we've established some really good relationships with the people involved in Vermont. Yeah. Moving into one of the other second round picks and William Wallander and the, in the Ellis Fenskin seems like just a big pile of tools, big mobile defensemen. What do you see his potential as and what's it going to take to get him there? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing with William. I only saw him play a few times last year, not as much as, as these other guys, but I think that's exactly what he is. He's, he's, he's big, he's raw. Um, you know, he moves well, he can pass well, he, he has a lot of upsides, but I think he's not as, as well-rounded and, and, and I guess polished as, as um, you know, maybe some of these other guys, right? So it's going to take a little bit of time with him. We've already had a, a few calls with him, making it clear uh, to him exactly what we want. I think a big benefit for him is going to be the fact that Nicholas Cronwell is back in Sweden living there um, and to have really one of the better Red Wing defensemen of all time in your corner, you know, I think um, we're going we're gonna to really promote that relationship um, and, and, you know, we'll be in touch with or have already started that process of being in touch with everybody involved in the motor organization. I think our philosophy in general for all of these guys is the, 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 the message has to be the same coming from us as it is from the team. You know, and I think that's one thing that we've really kind of focused on over the years is is making sure that and we're always on the same page as the team and that there's no mixed messages being delayed or being relayed to these players because then it becomes very difficult to, to really accomplish what you want done. So a lot of the work is actually done not with the player, but with the, with the team itself to make sure that we're all on the, on the same page. Yeah. You mentioned Nick. I mean, his first year in the player development department last year. What 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 did you notice as the early kind of advantages of that? What what's, what have been kind of the uh, the impact of, of Nick joining the department? Well, I mean, first off, you, you know, we needed a defenseman. You know, I, I talked to Kenny a little bit about that. Obviously, when Danny retired, he, he came on. You know, Danny was a winger. I played center. Um, we talked a little bit about trying to add a, add a defenseman to the crew, just so that we had all you know, all and especially someone that played. I mean, and then when Nick came by, I mean, that's like that's hitting a home run, right? You never. You know, to be able to get one of the better revenue defense of all time, obviously someone that played his position at an elite level for for many years, but also just the road the road he took to get there. You know, he, we didn't have anyone on the development staff that had played in Europe. Obviously, Nick grew up there, played there. Um, he took his time coming over. He played in Grand Rapids. You know, he took a little longer. His development career was a little bit longer. So that really also helped uh, really round out our, our, our experience as a development staff. So... You know, we, we feel like there's, you know, there's over 3,000 games or close to it uh, between us, between the three of us. And really, there's not a situation that, that we haven't been in before, whether it's a scoring winger to a, a grinding centerman um, to a defenseman and, and, and play, you know, special all special teams out there, you know, in the important times of the games out there in the last minute. Um, and obviously leadership as well. We've all, uh, we've all held leadership positions on our, you know, our team before, so. I think we're we feel like we're in a great shape in a great position in terms of of what we can offer these kids as a staff. And does he stay mostly? Because I, I think he was in Grand Rapids fairly often last year, right? Yeah, I think when Nick, you know, it was his first year, he was trying to figure out what he kind of wanted to do. He, was, he still is the advisor to uh, you know the general manager. 
Um, but I, he really just took a liking to development right away. And, you know, he didn't travel as much away, you know, like, to, um, I guess, uh, you know, around North America and Europe as much last year. Um, he did spend a ton of time in Grand Rapids, which is huge for us. We had, you know, you know obviously, Reed Sider, Gustav Lindstrom, Dennis Chalowski, you know, I, and, and really all of our defensemen down there were, were huge benefits of having Nick Howell around, you know, so yeah. it was a big, uh, a big benefit for us. And obviously now with him moving back to Europe full time, it's been fantastic just given the COVID situation, you know, it, we, we can't get in there. Danny and I can't get into Europe. We can't see these guys play live. We can't meet them for dinner. We can't meet their parents, their agents, their, you know, whoever's, whoever's involved in their lives. Um, but, but having Nick there, he's able to do that. Now, <laughs> We've given them lots of work to do. Obviously, having yeah. Ray Sider and and and, and uh, Joe Valeno, uh, you know, join the SHL for uh, for the year it, it has been uh, <laughs> obviously a lot more added to his plate. But um, you know, he's he, he's enjoyed it. Um, and he's really done, you know he's he's done a great job. It's so fun. It looked like Joe had a pretty good day yesterday with a goal and an assist. What are you hoping to 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 see from him when he comes back from from Sweden? Well, I hopefully, you know, I did, I watched the game. I think his first two games were as expected. He only he hadn't played in a long time and it took him a little while to get going. Actually, I would take him a little longer, but he looked very good last night against a good team for Lunda. A uh, really nice assist and a really nice goal late in the game on a, on a great shot. He's put on a lot of weight in soft season. I think, uh, you know, 10, 15 pounds, you know, he knows that strength, you know, he left last season feeling like strength was his biggest issue. Um, he does look stronger out there. You know, I think the benefit of playing there is he's playing an offensive situation a lot. So I think, um, you know, he's going to hopefully return with a lot more confidence offensively. Um, he's going to return, you know, in great shape. Um, if he keeps playing the way he is, you know, he's, he's going to return and hopefully be able to influence the, the Red Wings in a positive way. How much of those 10, 15 pounds are just in his new beard? <laughs> yeah, I give him a little bit of ribbon to that as well. I don't know how long that's going to last, but. Uh, said, I said, bud, you don't grow those beers at the start of the year. You grow the beers at the end of the year. You have so you probably sell wrong. So I just kind of give them a shot. There you go. Yeah. So one of the questions I was curious about, when you've obviously seen so many of these guys beforehand, but I know the, the amateur staff kind of runs the – they run the draft. What kind of dialogue is there between you and, and Chris Draper and, and his staff before the draft about players you've seen or, or skill sets that you think your staff can really help improve? Or, or do you, if you see a guy and you say, wow, I think we could take him really yeah. far, like h- how much crossover is there? Or, or do you just kind of wait and see what they give you on draft day? Well, there's lots because obviously we, we see a lot of like last year going to going and seeing Elmer and, uh, and, and, and Berge play, you know, we see a lot of Raymond. We saw a lot of Buck, you know, like, so obviously when we go watch our own guys play, if there's a high end prospect or prospect, a, a draft eligible or, or even a draft eligible that just stands out, um, we're going to tell Drapes and, and, and that area staff and, and we, we have to do write up. So there's, there's lots of communication. Um, but at the end of the day, it, that's their job. We don't make the pick. They make the pick. Um, but, but Drapes and his staff is always good at what, you know, they want, they want to know our input. What do we see? What do we like? Um, if we, if we are, you know, one thing about development as well as, is we have access to the, to the coaches and the teams a little bit more because, you know, there's a lot of times where we're on the ice with these teams, you know, and you get to see these, these draft eligibles play. Uh, you get to see them in their environment around their teammates. Um, and you get to learn a little bit more about them. So um, there are some things I think we can, uh, some information that we can add or, or pass on to our, 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 
our uh, amateur staff that can help aid, aid their decision and make sure that they're um, you know getting all the, all the proper information so they can do their you know, best job possible. I'm always curious, like what are the the traits that are the, I don't want to say easy, none of it's easy to improve, but what are the ones that you feel are most moldable? I, I, th- I feel like Draper was talking after the draft about how hockey sense may be the hardest one to teach. Are, are there skills that you feel like, okay, a guy needs help getting his skating worked out? Obviously strength is, is a common one I hear from you. What are the things that you think you can most improve in a player once they're drafted? Well, the one thing you can prove the most more often than not is just strength. You know, these are kids, okay. with, right? Most of these kids too, they are, are all, have been the best in their position, haven't had to really face much adversity yet. So, you know, usually when you face adversity, you, you realize maybe you're not as good as you thought you were and you're forced to do, you know, you're forced to really work at it more. And, that, and most of these kids haven't got to that point yet, you know, like really got to that point. So overall strength is probably something that's the easiest and, and, and the most, the first thing that, uh, you, you know, first thing that we really focus on. Yeah, of course, things like hockey sets are very difficult to teach. Um, usually by the time we get them, that kind of stuff is already ingrained. Um, skating, in terms of skating, you can actually make improvements skating, but it's very difficult to do. And it actually takes a lot of reps to do it. And it takes a huge commitment from the player. So a lot of times when you see a player that has made dramatic, dramatic increases, or you actually don't see it that often, but when you do, you usually have a player, that, a special character, player on your hands, a guy that just goes above beyond, does everything that he's asked for, just wants to work harder than everyone else around him. And, and those are the type of, people, type of people, those high character type of people, those high, highly driven, um, high, high competitive type of people that, that we want in our organization. I know that's something that the amateur staff uh, focuses on. Yeah, for sure. Going into some of the guys you, you already knew pretty well coming into this year, it's very hard not to notice what Jonathan Bergren's been doing over there so far. What has gone right for him? Has something clicked? What, what are you seeing? Well, he's off to a great, I mean, he's top three in league scoring. Um, I think for him, he's a, he's a guy that's faced a lot of adversity early in his career. There's, he's had two injuries that have caused him to miss a substantial amount of time. Um, I think one thing that those injuries did force him to do was kind of look at his physical body you know like and, and there was a lot of things when we first drafted him that that he was going to have to work on whether it was just overall strength but explosiveness um you know posture changes um balance you know core strength he was he was there's a lot of room uh, for improvement with with jonathan and when you go through injuries like that it does two things it first off makes you look into okay why do those injuries happen and where do i need to make them um, improvements in order for them not to happen again, but also where are my deficiencies? You know, what else do I have to? Do? What else do I need to do? And thirdly, it gives you the time to do that. You know, you're not that worried about recovery as much as you would be during the season because you don't have a game to play. You know, so um, I think for 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 Bergie, having that much time off did allow him to kind of put focus in areas that he really needed to work on. And like I said, he's off to a great start, which is nice nice to see for him because I know he's been through a lot. Yeah, and then I know Albert Johansson was a player who, especially late last year, came on really strong. What's what? What have you noticed so far early this year? I mean, I know the the production didn't keep up quite at the rate it was those final five or six games last year, but did the aspects of his development kind of keep up from from what you were seeing then? Yes, absolutely. I think he's off to a great start. Actually, I mean, he's um, he's very smooth. You know, I think he's a guy that actually, I think offensively, there's 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 much more in him than, than, than he may think, or that he's actually pushing. Uh, for right now you know he's just he's got great patience uh great vision he's always relaxed he's never rushed for the puck 
Um, you know, he skates very well. You know, he seems to have a good sense of the game on when to jump and when to kind of sit back. He's got a good feel for that. But he's got four points in nine games, which for a defenseman in the NHL, yeah. uh, a twenty-year-old is not uh, is not a small feat, right? So he's off to a great start. We're excited about him. Um, you know, he's obviously a guy that really needs to work on his. He needs to put a lot of strength on, just overall body strength. And, and I think core and legs would be a, a, a big factor and a big area of concern for him. Um, and and that takes time. That doesn't just happen in one summer and one, one off season, right? That takes time. So um, he's, yeah. he's had a good off season and, and, it, and it's showing, but there's still there's still more work to be done there. I, I never want to pigeonhole a guy too much because they're still they're still so young. They can become so many things. But do you see him as a as a true kind of two way defenseman, or do you see him kind of specializing more in you know offensive or defensive defense? Um, well, I mean, listen, we want we want all around defensemen. You know, it's very difficult to win without you know, with an offensive defenseman just puts up points and can't defend. I think at the end of the day, there's very few successful teams that have players like that. So. We do focus on defense with him a lot. The good news is, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's got good compete. He's not afraid to go in and challenge. He's got a good sense. Or he's got a good stick, sorry. Um, and he really does a good job of, of, of defending with his body position and using his legs. So, uh, like I said, as he gets stronger, I think he'll be even better in that situation. But offensively, you know, I, I think I think what you saw last year at the end of the season is he got much more power play time. And, and, and from that, he got confidence and got more points. And, I think this year um, we're hoping it gets better. Yeah, so not necessarily specific to either of those two then, and I I know it's a it's a whole group decision, not just yours. But are there signs you start to notice for for when you know a player is ready to kind of make the jump from from the SHL to either Grand Rapids or Detroit? Is there anything you you kind of use as like a little? He does this, he's doing this, he's doing this. Okay, he's probably ready. Yeah, I mean, I think that just just your general view, right? As as a, you know, just your knowledge in general. I think. It's one thing I've had a decent handle on, I think, in my career so far was kind of being able to watch a player and know if he's ready for the AHL or not. Um, there's lots of factors that go into it, though. Obviously, we're in no rush to get players over there until they're ready to come in and make an impact for us because having them in the AHL, if you know, just to be there doesn't make any sense. They have to be able to come in and play, you know, play play meaningful minutes um, in, in order for us to get the most of them. So. In terms of all these guys, it's early in the season, and, and no one's making decisions on that yet. It'll be a, it'll be a, a done as a group collectively, um, and then also will be done really to the end of the season when we can just see where they're at as a whole. Awesome. Well, that's everything I got. So I'll just close with: uh, When are you lobbying for your your Gothenburg second home now? <laughs> I know, man. Sweden in general, like it's going to be when the border does open up. Uh, I'll probably be there for half the month, really. You know, probably a couple wow. weeks, every month, uh, until we get through the season, just to kind of catch up. Obviously, with Sider and, and Delano being there as well, but just the fact that it's. Well, we'll see. I mean, in the second half of the season, I'm hoping more that you know the junior programs are open over here and and college programs are up and running, and, and hopefully with with fans or at least scouts, a small number of scouts that we get in there because you know video is all good and well, but it's not the same as as seeing players live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the rest of this off season that just won't end. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. See you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So what did you, uh, what, what are your impressions of that? Any, anything that Sean said really stand out to you? I thought there was a lot of, you know, interesting content in there. And I think, you know, you did a really good job kind of, getting him to give a little bit of information. I think one thing I want to start with is when it comes to player and really prospect evaluation, um, you know, we see all these scouting reports come out year after year talking about this is what this player does well. This is what this player needs to work on. And a lot of times we don't really, you know, take the time to appreciate, well, how difficult is it actually to work on something like that? Or how easy is it to build on that? And so, you know, when Horkoff starts to talk about different skills that, he thinks his development team is able to build a little bit more easily versus those that are a little bit more difficult. You know, in addition to hockey sense being one of the ones he considers to be more difficult, skating was another one. And, you know, I hadn't really ever thought about it because, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a scout by eyes. Like, I'm not going to look at a player and be able to tell you fundamentally what a player does well when they skate and what they don't. But, you know, intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. It's, these kids have been skating for probably, you know, 13, 14 years uh, and it's a really hard habit to kind of break. And so I thought that was a really interesting comment to make about how difficult it is to almost retrain skating and the kind of player that's going to be able to do that. And when you kind of take that information and tie that into a lot of the guys the Wings have drafted over the last couple of years, you see that common theme of good skaters for the most part uh, being there. So I thought that was a really interesting comment for him to bring up. And I also thought it was interesting when he talked about kind of the kinds of players who, even though they're rare, do make skating adjustments, improvements, and it, it, it kind of tells you that those are your, your kind of quintessential high character, high work ethic, really very driven, high compete players. Another reason that that seems to be kind of a focal point for the Red Wings, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I think of it, typically it's because, oh, those are the players who who win battles and who will go into the corners and, and take a hit and, and hold on to the puck, right? But this is the other side of it. Those are the players who you can co- be, be the most confident in, um, putting the time in, the reps in, the self-driven effort in uh, to make improvements to their game where, you know, at age 18, nobody really is what they are. But um, I think the, the the key there is it it, it takes real effort to uh, to make those improvements at that point. Yeah, I completely agree. Especially when you're talking about something that these players have been doing for years and years and years. It's a very hard skill to it's second nature. Right, it's second nature to them at this point that this is how I'm going to skate, or this is how you know I'm going to do this. I mean, anyone who's kind of played a sport. Uh, at a reasonably high level can tell you how hard it is to go back and change your technique in a certain aspect. You know, in in basketball, changing your shooting motion after you've been shooting a ball for, you know, 20 years is incredibly difficult. And so, you know, for a guy to come in and, and, you know, say, hey, you should improve your free throw percentage. Well, 
for a lot of these guys, it's, it's very difficult to change how they've been shooting a basketball for 15 years. And it's the rare player that is able to, you know, step in, make those changes, put in the time and effort it is to correct. I mean, really, you just have to throw it back to the Stanley Cup final. And we really talk about all the changes that Braden Point went through, you know, from the time that he was drafted to where he is right now is basically arguably a top five to top 10 player in hockey right now. And one of the big things that he needed to work on was his skating. And he was a guy that put in the time, put in the hours, put in the effort, and it's paid huge dividends. But I think it was really interesting just to hear, you know, how uncommon that is and really how difficult of a skill it is to kind of retrain these players after they've been doing it for, you know, majority of their life. I also thought it was interesting when he was talking about, you know, the the time that he you know had got to spend around for Lunda working with whether it was Elmer Soderblom or Gustav Berglund and the familiarity he had with both of those two players with or with Lucas Raymond and Theodore Niederbach I should say um, based off of that and just having kind of been around by osmosis working with other players in that system he had a lot of good stuff to say about the Ferlando organization there um, but it stood out to me that that he talked about one thing that you know maybe I, I never really realized before that not only do they have the the insight from watching these guys play but they're around in, in, these guys in, in their own environments and even if they're not there for them so to speak they're not there for Lucas Raymond or Theodore Niederbach, Niederbach a year ago um, they do get this kind of extra look at, at how those guys are in practice and, and are around their teammates because they get those looks that, that scouts really don't. Yeah, I thought, you know, one of the interesting Always, points that he made was, you know, we're on the ice with them sometimes, right? Like yep. that's that's a fascinating aspect that you don't always think about is, uh, number one, I think it gives you a great insight into how much these NHL organizations can, you know, influence the development track. I think he spent a great amount of time talking about, you know, not only does the NHL team have to communicate to this to the player, but they have to make sure they're on the same page as the team that, you know, that player is currently playing for to make sure they're not getting competing information. But beyond that, being able to be on the ice with the player, observe some of these players. I mean, by chance, you're certainly going to notice things. I mean, shoot, Lucas Raymond's been, you know, a part of this for system for years now. So he's a guy that you're not talking about seeing just once or over one year period of time. He's a guy you've been able to see move from, you know, J18 to J20 to the SHL and see him work his way up through that organization. And again, when you have kind of a top tier organization like Forlunda and, and uh, you know, Horkoff made the point that they've got top notch facilities, access to equipment, you know, access to really anything you would want. When you have that ability to be able to, you know, scout players from that organization, they're developing well, they're contending every year. Uh, it's just an outstanding opportunity and it makes a lot of sense why Detroit keeps going back to this well of yeah let me pull guys out of this organization because they clearly know what they're doing yeah I'm sure it's not the driving force behind the pick but it has to increase kind of the the ease of 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 then working with all those those same kind of um you work with the same people whether you're talking about Raymond or Niederbach or Soderblom right um you can have those conversations all on, on one phone call and that has to make life a little bit easier uh, for them. So I thought that was certainly very interesting. Um, but yeah, let, let's get into some of the prospects now. The season is underway in Sweden and there's enough guys over there that we felt we had to do a whole episode just on what was happening over there. So where do we start on uh, the Red Wings in Sweden right now? Yeah, I mean, you got 14 guys playing between the three different leagues over there in, in Sweden, the the SHL, which is the top league, the Allsvenskan, which is kind of that second tier league, 
almost like the NHL's equivalent AHL. And then you have the junior league there, which is uh, the J20. And so I think maybe you start at the top and you work your way down, starting with the men's league and and some of the guys that have been there. And I think when you're talking about the men's league, I think the first guy you really have to talk about has been Jonathan Bergeron and just his outstanding start. Yeah, it's been ridiculous. Um, I mean, 13 points in nine games, 11 of those are assists, so more than an assist per game. Um, in what Horkoff said, maybe the third best league in the world, um, that certainly gets your attention, especially for a guy who, you know, Bergen has not played all that much in the last two years. He's missed significant time. He's already surpassed, however, his point total from last year when he had 12 and 24 games. He's at 13 and 9. This is a huge step forward for him. Um to the point where you know, I don't know how I don't know how long he can keep kind of this production rate up, but a start like this, you know, if if unless something crazy happens, he he's gonna come out of this with a with a really impressive season. Um, this is almost, I mean, I, I think they play how many games they play in the SHL? Fifty, fifty-five. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. You're already closing in on twenty percent of the season here. Yeah, I mean, he's just been absolutely dynamite, uh, and the the most fascinating part I think about Bergeron's performance to start the season is the fact that he's just, it's not like he's doing this with 20 minutes of ice time. The guy's playing like barely 14 minutes a game, yeah. not even 14 minutes a game. I think right now they got him clocked at 13, nine, uh, you know, per game. And that's all situations. That's not even just even strength. So, you know, he's doing this in, in a much more limited role than you would typically expect. I mean, it puts his, I think points per 60, like at 6.24, uh, which is just an absurd amount of scoring for this guy right now. And so, you know, you just have to wonder, is he the guy that's going to outperform his draft slot? And I think I've mentioned this on a handful of different episodes that the way that you're really going to get moving forward if you're Detroit is when you have players starting to outperform their draft slot. That's what gets you you know, your wins, that's what gets you the guys that can start to build the core of your team. And really, if you look at a lot of the teams that have ascended, you know, over the last decade or so, uh, it's been because of guys, not that were picked in the first round. Sure, you have the teams like Chicago that can land Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, you know, and back-to-backs. You can get your Duncan Keats and whatnot in the later rounds. Uh, and but really, it's Keith in the later round that is able to elevate that team there. You know, you can be the Penguins where you get Crosby and Malkin, or you know, again, quite high. But it's again having the supplemental depth from guys like Chris Letang that can step in and be great. And so, if you look at what Detroit needs, yes, they need Lucas Raymond to hit. Yes, they need Philip Zadina and Moritz Sider to hit. But where you really need the the success is those guys that are in the second, the thirds, the fourths, and so on to start outperforming their draft slot. So Bergeron right now appears to be a guy that is on that track. And if so, that's got to be a really exciting prospect for Red Wings fans. I do want to make sure, though, that we pump the brakes a little bit on the hype train for it. As much as I don't want to take any joy from Red Wings fans after the years they have all experienced, um, before, you know, Bergeron, you know, is anointed as, you know, I, I saw some some stats going around about, you know, like the best U20, U21 season, I guess, since Elias Pettersson. That is on pace where he's at right now, but we're not projecting an Elias Pettersson-like impact here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I, I, he's not Elias Pettersson in any stretch. Um, I'm going to confidently say that. 
right now. I don't think he is in that tier whatsoever. But what you're sort of hoping for is this is a guy that can, you know, morph his way into being that very talented playmaker that can play, you know, on your first or second line, can potentially play on the power play for you and and offers you, you know, that kind of dynamic high-end skill that you're really lacking right now. It's very hard to project what Bergeron's going to be. I mean, you know, we still are dealing with a guy that's got a lot of injury history. We're still talking about only nine games uh, here. You know, he hasn't made it through a full SHL season. Uh, You know, he only made it through 24 games last year, 16 the year prior. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here. Sir Max, I think you're rightfully pumping the brakes um, and, and kind of putting him down a little bit into more into a more realistic tier. But all that being said, I think you have a fair bit of optimism at this point that he's maybe a guy that's going to be able to play in your top six, where right now you look at Detroit's top six and then you look at their prospect cupboard. There's not a lot of guys that project to be there. Yeah, but what I think Bergeron can be is, is kind of that that depth scoring that they have needed so badly. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean like you're, you're relegating him to the bottom six or anything, but, but a guy who can play up and down your lineup and give you offense. And I think that's extremely valuable um, regardless of, you know, it doesn't have to be an, like an 80-point guy for that to be super valuable. If, if you're getting your your 40 to 50-point guy in, in that range at the top of the second round, you're extremely happy with that development. Yeah, exactly. Because again, if you think about where he's picked, you know, a second round pick, uh, you know, a couple years back, that is outperforming that draft slot. And that's ultimately what you need. Um, and again, the more outperformance you get from that draft slot, the better. I mean, again, you know, I can't harp on this enough. That's how a team like Tampa gets to where they are. You look at all their first round picks over the last decade or so, none of them were particularly good. I mean, their best two first-round picks in the last couple of years were probably Tony D'Angelo, who they traded away to, to New York, and Jonathan Drouin, who they traded away to, to Montreal for other pieces. But otherwise, it was you know guys like Kucherov in the second round. It's guys like Braden Point that we've talked about. It's your Andre Palats. Uh, it's, you know, it's those guys that built Tampa into what they are, and that's what you're hoping Bergen can be, not necessarily in that tier, but being a guy like Andre Pilat for Detroit, I think would be an outstanding get uh, based on where Bergeron's drafted. So I also want to do, there, there's a new website that I want to make everyone aware of as they track all these Swedes. It's uh, Zach Ellenthal is his name. He's, he's tracking um, and, and, and compiling data. I don't know if he's actually tracking. I don't think he's tracking games by hand, but he's compiling data to give a little bit more um more advanced stats on the Swedes. So it's it's Z Ellenthal, Z-E-L-L-E-N-T-H-A-L dot shinyapps.io slash svengelska dash hockey. That's S-V-E-N-G-E-L-S-K-A dash hockey. And then a backslash. He's got great kind of visualization stats that you can look at. So if, if you go into Bergeron's page, you can see um, – Couple things that stand out. The first, like you were talking about, is is what he's producing in limited ice time. Eight point five seven points per sixty at even strength, I believe. Uh, oh, sorry, that's out in the power play. Four point nine four points per sixty at even strength. Um, that's still very strong. I mean, relatively, right? Uh, the the Corsi for and against fifty three percent Corsi four percent. That is a little below um, the rest of his team, but still a good number overall. And then a ridiculous five on five goals four percentage, approaching seventy eight. That's still very early. You don't expect it to stay that high. 
but you are certainly happy when it is that high for now, right? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely happy with where he's at. Um, you know, again, he's he's playing on a solid team that has been able to, you know, produce quite well. So, you know, you're kind of hoping that those those uh, Corsi numbers continue to stay where they are. You're f- hoping that he's continuing to impact the game outside of just the score sheet. But, you know, right now I'm just kind of enjoying how much he's uh, been able to score, play, make, set up. I mean, shoot, he should have points in all nine games had he not been, you know, had that goal taken away from him from kind of a weak call. So, you know, really I think Bergeron is is starting to put all of the pieces together if he's finally healthy. I think Horcroft made a good point, um, you know, when he was talking about this, when you're talking about players that have had multiple seasons with injury, you start to ask yourself, well, why did that injury happen? And, and were there certain, you know, muscle groups that need to be strengthened? Were there, you know, certain pieces that, needed to be worked on in the strength and weight room to be able to make the player a little bit more durable. You know, a great example of this is if anyone's ever had, you know, a herniated disc or, you know, a bulging disc in their back, The what they ended up telling you is the best way to really get around that if you're not going to do surgery is strengthen your core muscles to actually make your accessory muscle stronger to handle more, you know, stress on, and strain on your back. And it's kind of things like that, that if there are other things that need to be developed or worked on, in the weight room to keep Bergeron healthy, you know, maybe that's what needed to be done. And, and if he's put in the time and the effort, you know, potentially he's a more durable player. And, and with that, he plays a little bit more freely. Yeah, it is one of those kind of, you're not never going to call an injury a benefit, but um, it, it does create different opportunities that you don't get in terms of, you know, Bergeron's injuries were upper body, right? Especially if he's able to do some, some leg work there that, you know, you, you don't want to put your legs through like really, really rigorous explosiveness workouts um, when you're in the middle of a season. But when you're not having games, that does become more possible. So I think that's very interesting. And I certainly don't want to raid on anyone's Bergen parade. Uh, I just also don't want to let expectations get a little, little out of hand there because I think that's an easy recipe for letdown. And I don't know if any of you guys need any more of that based on some of my mentions <laughs> over the last several months. Probably not, but you know what? At this point, it's all... But be excited. It's, it's going it's well. It's all yeah. anyone's got to hang on to right now, right? And so I feel like, you know, with the hype train already out of control, I feel like the next guy you have to talk about is Lucas Raymond then, right? Yeah, sure. And, and he's playing really well. I mean, another assist the other day. Uh, I think he's at five points in nine games so far, Yeah, uh, which is obviously very good. Um, the Corsi numbers on Raymond, also very strong. I think he's north of 60%, if I am correct. Yeah, um, 61% outstanding right and the minutes are up from last year that was a a key thing during his draft year Um, but the minutes are definitely up a lot of the scoring seems like it's coming on the power play but that is kind of what you expect at 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 his age yeah I think that's the that's going to be the challenge for him is how can he find a way to you know make the consistent impact at even strength Um, you know in his case it's going to be that's the important part and I think uh, Horkoff did a good job really talking about this. He talked about with Raymond, there's times where you watch him and you just say, this guy should be destroying this league. And then there are other times where you say, all right, where's the, where's that consistency? And, you know, he mentioned that consistency is a very hard thing to develop at, you know, Raymond's age, just being 18 years old right now is playing in a men's league. But that's what you're going to want to see as the season progresses. Is he making more of an impact on a night in, night out bases, doing it at even strength, you know, not just on the power play. I mean, right now he's still playing only about 11 and a half minutes at even strength, getting about four minutes on the power play. And again, like you said, Max, that's where he's been feasting. 
so what you want to see is on this really talented Forlunda team, can he continue to make that impact at even strength? I think he's doing a good job of it. Uh, you know, in the early part of the season, particularly when you met evaluated by that Corsi four percentage, I mean, 61% is, is an outstanding number. Yeah. Uh, one of the best numbers in the SHL uh, for guys who have played at least five games, he's been better than his team average, uh, you know, kind of plus 4.4% there. So you just want to see that consistently stay there. And in nights where he's not finding the score sheet, can he find a way to still impact the game in a positive way for his team? Absolutely, and and you know I th- I think he will. He's a must watch. Obviously, everyone knows that it must follow as you uh, track the Red Wings farm system this year. I would say number one prospect. Are you there too? Uh, very easily there. I think he's by far the most talented player in Detroit yeah. system. So yeah, so he, he's a must must monitor, and and I don't think you need him to be like a point per game per se, um, but you'd like him to be regularly scoring. And if there's a game or two where he's not, um, that's what it is to be a young player. But but I think especially when you bring up that consistency factor, if you're seeing Lucas Raymond do something something really impressive, something really strong every game, um, and then you start to stack all that on top of each other, that's that's where that's probably what you're looking for to see out of him the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. And, and inevitably, you know, he's going to get compared to Alexander Holtz, the yeah. other top Swedish player who was drafted last year. Holtz is off to an outstanding start. He's already got four goals and five points, all at even strength, uh, you know, thus far. And so with Holtz's kind of start, it's important to remember it's fine. You know, again, Raymond is still finding a way to impact the game. Holtz is getting a couple of extra minutes at even strength. You know, that uh, that uh, Raymond doesn't have. Holtz's team isn't as strong as Raymond's team. So he's kind of more of a primary weapon. He's going to shoot the puck a little bit more. So have a little bit of patience with all of that there. I think, again, if Raymond can find a way to bring that consistency on a night in and night out, he is going to be arguably one of the top three players that came out of this draft, if not top two. Let's move into uh, Albert Johansson. And he's a guy who I certainly, I think I picked him as my breakout Red Wings prospect for this year. Uh, production has been, as, as Horkoff noted, like solid at, at four points in nine games, which for a young Swedish defenseman is quite good. Um, but I, what I think jumps out when you look at this website that, that Zach has put together, so his, his Corsi percentage shot share uh, 52.8%. Like that, that's in the ballpark of Berggren's, right? But 11.2 positive relative to the rest of his team. That means Farstad is significantly, noticeably better with Albert Johansson on the ice. Goals for percentage 64% at five on five. Um, he is scoring a little bit, but, but this is a really compelling overall profile for Johansson, especially if his offense hasn't even been fully tapped yet. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that they're trusting to play a lot of minutes at even strength right now. I mean, he's playing, you know, north of 15 minutes a night at even strength, which is outstanding for a relatively young kid. I mean, it's it's really impressive to see how much he's grown and and been able to contribute. I mean, you can't overstate that Corsi 4 percentage. I mean, as a team, you know, Johansson's team Farstad is is at 45 percent at five on five when it comes to Corsi 4 percentage. He's 52.8, and when you subtract his minutes out uh, and you look at just what the team looks like from there, they're even worse than that. You're talking about a 40% Corsi team, which is close to where Detroit was this year. So, you know, that's a it just goes to show you how impactful he's been for them. I think he's just a really solid overall player. And, again, we keep coming back to guys that need to outperform their draft position. You know, Johansson's the 60th pick in the 2019 draft. If he comes out and he's able to be a reliable 
you know, second pairing defenseman, which I think is probably his ceiling, you are over the moon landing that at 60th overall. Uh, so I think he's a guy to really keep your eyes on. Really, him and Bergman are the two guys I've got my eyes on as these are guys I've penciled in to outperform their draft position. And that's what's going to get the ball rolling on this rebuild. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's move into uh, kind of the, the the pillar of that future defense. At least we would figure that's Moritz Sider. He's only played two games over there so far. Got on the score sheet for the first time uh, with an assist. But the number that jumps out again is the shot share, which is a absolutely ridiculous 76% with Moritz Sider is on the ice for Rogla. Um, Rogla's a top team, so that's worth noting. But again, 24.4 relative, like positive above the rest of his team. So... On a already good team, they are worlds better with more insider on the ice so far. Crazy small sample. I'm not trying to make too much of it, but that's a crazy number. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about two games, and in those two games, I mean, to be on the ice for 76% of the the total shots attempted, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. His last game, I think he was like plus 20, minus 9 or something like that. <laughs> so, again, just insane numbers when he's on the ice. And the reason this is important be- is because... Ultimately, you know, when you are on the ice, you want your team to be directing the puck at the opposition's net. And the more that that can happen, the more opportunities you give yourself to score. And so when you have a guy like Moritz Sider, who is able to be that impactful, uh, you know, at it controlling the shot share. Now, it's hard to say after two games how much of it's really just due to him uh, versus, you know, his teammates, the opponents they played, things like that. Uh, you know, all that being said, it's very impressive so far. I think Roglo very clearly trusts him. You know, they played him, uh, I think, what, about 16 minutes at even strength uh, in, the, in the first couple of games, including uh, his ice time approach 20 minutes in the second game. So I think he's a guy they're absolutely going to lean on. And given his AHL experience last year, you know, you could argue that the SHL is kind of on par, if not maybe a little below the AHL, depending on how you view it. Uh, you know, he's a guy that should come in and really step in and excel in this league. So Again, you you really want to see him continue to take strides forward. I don't think he's having a step down here. I think this league may cater to his offensive tendencies uh, maybe a little bit more. And so I'm really excited to see what comes out of Moritz Sider's game. Yeah, I'm curious to see a couple different things. Number one, I, I do expect him to have a pronounced impact on, on possession just because I think that's what makes him... A, a, a pillar for the Red Wings in the future. I think it, it's it's not so much the going to be any gaudy production or anything like that. I think it's just going to be he's going to be proficient at keeping the other team from dangerous areas, getting the puck back, and moving it up the ice so that his team does not have to play uh, in their own end. And I I think that's so incredibly valuable. 
um, to 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 any team, but absolutely to where the Red Wings are are at and are going. It, it's going to be essential that, especially as this new wave comes up, they play with the puck more and they spend less time in their own end. Those are less demanding minutes, um, and, and it, it certainly is going to be more fun for everyone to watch um, if that's what happens. So you you would like to see uh, if you're the Red Wings, Moritz Sider be proficient in that in the SHL, and then I'm curious what happens. Uh, with his offense here, because like Horkoff said, SHL, maybe, maybe it is behind the HL. I mean, I I think it is behind the HL in overall quality, but it's not easy to score in that league either. Um, So I'm curious to see Cider had more offense, uh, more, more production than maybe I was expecting in his first year in the HL last year. I'm curious what to see where that goes in the SHL this year. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting uh, to watch and see, because I think again, when a lot of people, uh, you know, were looking at Cider last year, not nothing that really stood out from an offensive standpoint. Like you weren't saying that this was a guy that was going to come out and be a world beater and and uh, you know be that dynamic offensive threat on the back end. I think everyone was kind of looking for that steady, reliable presence. And so you know, I will be interested to see what happens here in Sweden. I think a guy that you know, I don't know that this comparison's been made, but I want to liken him to. Uh, you know, a guy who's on the Minnesota Wild right now and Jonas Brodeen, who I think is a really steady two-way defenseman that does exactly what you said, Max. He does a great job of moving the puck up, moving the puck uh, to his teammates, you know, does a really good job in staying calm, incredible positioning, good in the board battles, but he's not a guy that's going to blow you away with his offense. I think his career high in points is like 28 or something like that. That's kind of the, the archetype of player that I think Moritz Sider kind of slides into. And so again, I think Sweden offers him a chance to maybe explore some of that offense on the, on the larger ice, but uh, all in all, it'll be a good one to watch. Absolutely. Uh, Joe Valeno had a goal and an assist the other day. I talked about it with Horkoff. Horkoff uh, the assist was beautiful. Nice little spin play up at the blue line and then uh, a, a good pass into the slot and the, and the goal. Uh, I think a, a far side snipe. So both of those, not just uh, not just points, but primary points and, and highly skilled points. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal was an insane wrist shot. I thought one of the things that was really neat about it was the puck wasn't in shooting position until the very last second. And I think that's an incredibly important skill for a shooter to have in terms of kind of not letting the goalie get set and read. Cause you know, when you're a goalie, you talk about butterfly positioning, you know, you want to be set and ready and down in position, you know, before really the puck is getting to you. Uh, and so, you know, having that kind of release is, is outstanding. Uh, so I was really excited actually about the shot really more than the pass. I thought the pass was the kind of play that's going to get you burned uh, in the NHL. I don't know how often you're going to be able to pull that kind of spin move, but kudos to him for trying it. I think what that illustrates is, you know, the confidence to play with the puck. And I think Horkoff kind of talked about this a little bit that last year, you know, the biggest issue for Valeno was strength. He was not strong enough to really play against some of the guys at the AHL level I do wonder if that took a little bit of a hit on his confidence and willingness to kind of show that offensive flair and, and try and make some more plays. Uh, and so, you know, obviously Horcroft said that he goes out, he he puts on 10, 15 pounds uh, of weight to try and, you know, round himself out into a player that can handle that. And as a result, maybe he is able to be stronger on his feet, stronger on his legs, stronger through the core to make a spin move like that, knowing that he's not going to get the puck knocked off his stick. So, Again, I'd like to see him 
continue to make those kinds of moves, continue to play with that level of aggression and flair. And it seems like he's going to get the ice time. I mean, he got about 17 minutes, or he's averaging about 17 minutes through the first three games. So if you can continue to play that much, you're going to get a really good look at him. Here's one for the do you read into this game. Uh, Horkoff said he's... uh, I think he's hopefully going to return with a lot more confidence offensively. He's going to return in great shape. And if he keeps playing the way he is, he's going to return and hopefully be able to influence the Red Wings in a positive way. Do we read into that to mean at the end of the SHL season, there's a a chance that Valeno is kind of expected to to compete to be in Detroit at that point? No, it's my turn to rain on the parade. That's not what he meant at all. I think (laughs) he just meant Red Wings organization. So I don't think... (laughs) I still don't think Valeno is is ready for the NHL this year. Um, you know, it wouldn't hurt to give him a nine game tryout, right? You know, you do what you do and and uh, see what happens there. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he is. Now that being said, let's say he runs through the SHL, puts up you know a point seven point eight points per game mark. Then yeah, then yeah, you absolutely need to give him a shot. So I think a lot of it hinges on this. But I'm not confident that he's NHL bound this season fair enough a, a resounding rebuke by my co-host just now. <laughs> <laughs> it was my turn to rain on the play no, so i, I look, had to do fair it fair is fair fair is fair um keeping moving through we haven't talked about matthias brome a whole lot actually since he signed with the red wings um he, he's a guy who he's, he's older like i don't know if you can really call him a prospect but he's in the red wing system He's 26 years old. He's off to a really nice start as well there for Orobro. Yeah, I mean, Bromi's a guy who's been in, you know, in Sweden for quite some time. And so he's a he's a really talented player. I think he's a great, uh, highly skilled winger. He's been prolific so far, obviously, better than a point per game. Uh, and I think, you know, given his experience playing in Sweden, obviously his team trusts him a lot more to, to play the big minutes. I mean, the guy plays, uh, you know, almost 19 minutes a night, uh, which is just crazy for a forward and and they're going to rely on him to do a lot of the scoring and and thus far he's been able to contribute uh you know he's been solid at even strength solid on the power play i think the thing i'm going to watch is can he tilt you know the shot share in his team's favor when he's on the ice you know through nine games thus far eight games he hasn't really done that comes in at 48.2 uh on the Corsi 4 percentage which is about 6% route below uh, relative to his his teammates when he's not on the ice. So uh, that's kind of the key thing for me is, is he going to be able to do all of that and continue to score and make that all-around impact? Uh, if not, then you know maybe his long-term prospects in the NHL are, are not there, but still solid start for, uh, for another guy who's in the Wings organization. And it, this is a spot where it's worth saying, like, what you're looking for out of a guy like Brome, you're not really likely to find a top half of the lineup, even top really nine regular um, out of Europe at age 25. Right? You're looking for guys who can come in and for, for a couple years, a few years in their prime, give you really nice down lineup contribution, down lineup scoring com- while competing hard. That's really more what you're looking for here. You're not looking to find the next great star as much as you'd love to. It's just not realistic. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and you look at how these situations have worked uh you know, in the last few years, we're trying to pluck these top players out of the other leagues. Uh, and then you come and see them in the NHL level and you realize that, you know, you're not really uh, pulling a player that's going to f- slot in on your top six and instantly make a huge impact. And oftentimes these kind of players struggle to, you know, stay on the team. I mean, I'll give a great example of this. Uh, 
uh, I think I'm throwing it back now seven or eight years. Uh, I think to 2012, 2013, when the Red Wings went out and pulled uh, Swiss free agent Damian Brunner, uh, who's arguably the top player not in North America. They pulled him over. Everyone was kind of expecting a lot of him. Really struggled at times to make a consistent impact. Uh, and I think ultimately he ended up you know, leaving the organization the following year and, and went back over to Switzerland and, and thus hasn't really been able to, to make that consistent impact. I mean, you saw it with the Vegas Golden Knights and uh, Sapachioff. Uh, when they pulled him over in their inaugural year as a 30-year-old, wasn't able to, uh, you know, stick in Vegas's lineup at all and ended up, you know, leaving midseason. So uh, don't expect a lot, but if you what you're at bare minimum hoping for is uh, he can give you a little bit of depth scoring. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's get into two of the two of the big guys uh, in, in terms of stature. Malty Setkov, and I know Lars was going to kill me if we didn't talk about Elmer Soderblom on this episode. Uh, he's been getting some time up with Ferlunda, bouncing between, I would say, the J20 and the SHL. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, he's got four games in J20, five games, uh, you know, up with the men's team. And so, you know, he's moving back and forth. I don't think he's been given a ton of ice time uh, with the main club, I think playing just about seven minutes a night. Uh, he's a guy where, again, you know, at his size, there's going to be certain limitations, but it's very clear to see that he's not your like stereotypical big hockey player that's yeah. out there, bruiser, not necessarily all that skilled. I mean, you watch one of the passes that he made the other night. I mean, it was this very smooth, nifty, pirouette pass. Granted, the pass was like two feet behind his intended recipient. But there's not a lot of guys that are as tall as Elmer Soderblom that can make that pass. And so, you know, I I do think he has some aspects to his game that are valuable and that could be valuable at the NHL level. I'm still a little, you know, pessimistic about whether or not he even makes it. I think in my, you know, overall picture, he's a fringe NHLer at best. But uh, that being said, he's continued to exceed expectations from where he was picked at 159th uh, in 2019. He's still quite young. And so... Uh, if he can get more consistent time on that great Fralunda team and can find a way to have an impact at even strength and and find a way to you know make his size useful on the power play either in front of the net or kind of cleaning up rebounds I mean I think that's his real advantage is his reach there was a great uh, goal he scored in J20 where I mean the guy literally in one move pulls the puck across the entire front of the net and tucks it in on the yeah. other side I mean there's no goalie that's going to stop that. Um, but it's finding a way to be more effective and use the size a little bit better at these tougher levels that will really make the difference of whether or not he makes the NHL or not. Yeah, as someone in my Twitter mentions put it, uh, if, if the pass was to a right-handed shot, it's probably a goal because they can... That's, they, that's they very true. Those, yeah. <laughs> but um, what impressed me about it actually was was the 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 pivot the, the the how quickly how agilely he was able to to make that spin uh, to his to you know around the defender. Um, that to me is is if he's able to do that while retaining control of the puck, that's a, that's a skilled play at the kind of pace at his size that is just 
super hard to defend. The defenseman was 6-1, I think. I mean, you're not talking about doing that on a tiny guy, but Elmer makes everyone else tiny. That's what he does. So um, if he's able to make plays like that and continue to refine that, um, you don't really need him to make that play incredibly consistently to be good. You just need him to be great with his length, like you said, in the D zone. Um, If he comes in and he's on your fourth line and, and on maybe both special teams, and every once in a while he's able to make that power move to the net, um, that, that skill pass to, to someone streaking in once the Red Wings have more than two right-handed forwards in their system, um, then you do have something who's, who's a contributor there. Um, and again, six-round pick. You are not looking for the, the world's next superstar here. I mean, it's, it's not unheard of to find him there, uh, but it's not common and it's not what you should expect. You should be hoping um, that you have someone who can play regular NHL games. And I actually think with the way his development's gone, um, I, I don't mind the odds that he does it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's exceeding expectations, right? I yep. mean, for a six-round pick already in his you know next season to be playing in the SHL sometime, I think that's very, very good. And so, uh, again, you'll continue to watch. You'll see how he rounds out his game. You know, the odds are definitely stacked against him. Not a lot of six-round picks make the NHL. Not a lot of six-foot-seven guys make the yeah. NHL. So, you know, you're, you're talking about things that don't usually happen here, but we will see. He's certainly on the right track. Yeah, he is. He's progressing really well. Um, and then Malti Sekov, who I, I think... So I am i don't read Swedish, but I have the Google Translate of an article up here. It sounds like Sekov's going to play um, in, in Malmo's next game, but I can't really tell if he was hurt before or if he was just a scratch. Sounds like he's come back and he's played two games so far, gotten solid results, um, but it sounds like maybe he's he's headed back into the lineup. Malmo's been struggling, so I wonder if that's part of it too. But but if he's been hurt, then that's just that. Yeah, I mean, if if uh, if he was hurt and is now able to come back, I think that'll be a huge help for Malmo. Obviously, getting to bring in Joe Valeno, but now yeah. uh, getting Setkoff back is going to be big for them on the back end. I mean, only was able to get in a couple of games, but they were playing him about 15 minutes a night, so it's clear that you know he can be a big and important piece for them so, you know, we'll kind of see and, and see how it goes. But again, Setkov's another guy where you don't have a ton of expectations. You're now, you know, he's a 2017 pick. He was 100th overall. And so, again, you don't have the highest of expectations. The odds are certainly stacked against him to make it, especially as Detroit has started to load up their defensive pipeline with guys that are getting in front of him. Um, but that being said, again, it'd be real nice to have a guy that's six foot seven and mobile, mobile on the back end. Uh, and if he's able to, you know, put the pieces together, uh, that would be, a, again, another win for Detroit. I'm not super optimistic about Setkoff's development, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how he looks on a, on a Momo team that very much needs him back. All right. In the interest of time, let's do the all-Svenskin all at once here. Gustav Berglund, William Volander, Gustav Lindstrom, and Philip Larson all there. Give me your... Twitter length or double Twitter length uh, all Svenskin take so far? Uh, double Twitter length all Svenskin take. I think William Wallander is, you know, looking fine. I think he's going to be a project and, and everyone should expect that. Yep. Uh, hasn't really scored yet, but will, uh, as long as he's making the right plays, that's what you're looking for. I think it was interesting that Gustav Lindstrom ended up going back to the all Svenskin as opposed to, you know, potentially getting loaned up into the SHL. Interesting just to go from NHL back down that far. Hasn't, you know, looked particularly impressive in his first few games, but we will see. On his team is also Philip Larson, who also has not looked particularly impressive. 
just sporting a, a 900 save percentage through the first three games, although he did get one shutout, but he also got lit up in one game. So that's part of the issue. Uh, and then Gustav Berglund, similar you know, story to Soderblom, 2019 later round pick. You're hoping something comes out of it, but again, not, not super impressed by the start or anything notable. Yeah, I, I, the, on the Lindstrom point, I think that speaks to, you know, he, he's a guy who they can recall because he's in the Elsvenskin, and I think that probably speaks to kind of his advanced uh, likelihood to to be in camp and competing for an NHL job uh, more than anything. But but I'm interested in, in, like you said, not a crazy fast start. It's, it's never been his game, though, to put up big points, and I almost wonder if he's the kind of guy who maybe looks better in the NHL or, or even in the AHL um, just because those, you know, smaller ice kind of brings out some of his good qualities more. Maybe it's, he's an interesting player. You know, I will say this totally that his development path in completely puzzles me. (laughs) I don't know how he got to the NHL as quickly as he did. Uh, You know, when you look at that Red Wings 2017 class, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how he got there as quickly as he did. And when he was there last year, granted everybody on Detroit looked awful, but he also looked particularly awful and out of position. And you thought uh, so? I thought so. I mean, I, I didn't thought think he looked, he looked okay. Good at all? I didn't think no, he looked I mean, great, I thought but I thought he, he looked okay. It's interesting. I was very disappointed, actually. I thought he was going to look a little bit better than that, but in fact, like statistically, into my eye, I just thought he was very much not where he needed to be. Um, granted again, this was a horrific Detroit team. So how much of it is that, you know, for a rookie to kind of step in and absorb, but, uh, I was not particularly impressed with him. So, you know, his entire development path doesn't make a lot of sense. And then again, you know, going back to, uh, you know, to the all Svenskin, I mean, sure he could be recalled earlier, but, you know, at the same time, like, wouldn't you want him playing against a significantly higher tier of competition if you, thought that was the level that he should be at. I guess that's where I'm confused. Well, if you expect him in camp, you can't send him to the SHL. So if you expect him in camp, your options are basically play him at a level that he's well above or let him work out in Detroit with everyone and and not get game action. It might've been his call. Um, It's possible that he was just in Sweden. And so it was easy to to make that decision that way. Um, But I am kind of of the mind that you know, you don't want to spend too much time in a league that you are kind of past um, just because you don't want to risk, you know, getting too reacclimated to that being what you need to do. Uh, but I think in, in this year of all years, competitive hockey is competitive hockey. So I don't mind him being in the Allsvenskan, but I can see the argument for if you think he's he's just beyond that level, um, then then why do it? But it also kind of sounds like you don't think that so. I mean, I don't. So here, here's a fun stat, right? So if you look at uh, last year and you look at standing points above replacement per 60 minutes, right? And I and I just shortened this to everyone who played at least 250 minutes to get Lindstrom in. Yeah. Lindstrom was dead last in standing points above replacement per 60 at minus wow. 0.4. So, you know, again, it's a small sample. He played 16 games. He was dead last in the NHL. There are 660 players eligible on this list. He was dead last. So I don't think he was ready. I think he looked particularly awful. I think statistically it was bad. So I don't necessarily have the problem with him going back to Allsvenskin, so long as the reason wasn't because you could recall him back to the NHL sooner. 
All right, that's fair then. Um, let's move along to the J20 though. Uh, Theodore Niederbach being the really the only guy I think we need to talk about in the J20 right now. Uh, 22 points in 13 games so far. Um, again, small sample. He, he he actually played six seconds in Ferlunda's last SHL game. I think that was big game. SHL big game. Yeah, six seconds. So they're, they're, that's how hard it is to get ice in Ferlunda right now. Uh, but I wonder what, what you do with Theodore Niederbach, and I really should have asked this to Horkoff, uh, what, what he thought would happen here, because if you go through the J20 and you're putting up close to two points per game, you probably want to bump that player up to a new challenge sooner or later. It doesn't have to be right this second, but if he's still doing this in six weeks, eight weeks, uh, what would you do with Theodore Niederbach between just keep destroying the J20 or get more than six seconds, but probably less than eight minutes a night with the senior team? Or do you explore uh, loan situations? What's what's the best option here for a player like Niederbach if he keeps this up? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think Horkoff did actually, you know, answer this to a certain extent, not specific to Niederbach, but one of the things he said he really liked about Forlunda was they do a, they communicate really well all the way down from their J18 to the J20 you know, up to all Svensk and up to uh, the SHL, they do a great job of everyone being on the same page. And as a result, they kind of, he seemed to think that they have pretty good intuition of when's the right time to move a player up, when's the right time to, you know, move a player back. And so I think Niederbach is going to earn himself SHL time. I think it's going to be impossible to keep this guy, uh, you know, down uh, playing J20 the entire time. And as you're, as a Detroit fan, you don't really want him playing J20 the entirety of his D plus one year. You want him getting into a higher league and whatnot. So I'm, you know, kind of open to trusting the Ferlunda system here. Uh, it's very clearly worked well for them. And, you know, sneak him into some of these Ferlunda games as you can. But I, I'm okay with him even just being around the men's team and being able to, to spend more time with them, even if he only gets a little bit of time on the ice, let him sit on the bench and observe the pace of play. Let him, you know, see the the challenges, the things like that. I mean, Horcroft, uh obviously talked about, you know, how Frelunda's GM considered Niederbach to be one of the most intelligent players he's ever come across. So I, I really think it's all about letting him see the game, understand the game, know what to work on, build the strength to be ready, because I think that's another big barrier for Niederbach. Um, and then kind of easing him into those SHL games. But I don't think you necessarily have to rush it as much as you don't want him spending that much time down in the uh, the J20. It's a good point. And Horkoff did make the point that you're not a J20 player or an SHL player. Like it's it's fluid and, and really with the way their schedules work out, it's not inconceivable that you could have a situation where, let's say that uh, SHL often plays on Thursdays and Saturdays. So let's say there's a, a J20 game on Friday and Sunday or something. Maybe you just play all four or something or, or three out of those four games, especially if you're only going to get six minutes in, in the SHL game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, is six minutes useful? Probably not. I mean, sure. He, he picked up some stuff from, from watching the game, but yeah, you probably also want him playing, you know, 18, 19, 20 minutes a night down uh, with the J20 team, but you can have both potentially sometimes some, you weeks. can, yeah, you with, can in home weeks. Yep. All right. Uh, so that's Niederbach. So the only other thing I wanted to really get to today is, 
the future because this is still a Red Wings podcast and uh, the draft is going to be a focus of that even when we're just uh, a month removed from the last one. So uh, less than a month removed, 2021. There, there are more Swedes to be to be had at the top of that draft. A couple from Forlunda, Simon Edvinson, the defenseman, Fabian Lysel, uh, the winger, William Eklund from Bjurgarden, uh, pretty highly ranked player. I think he's already scoring at a kind of competitive rate in the SHL. There, Eklund is. Um, Jesper Wallstedt is is a big player there, a goalie. I know, you know. Sorry to sorry to bring him up, but uh, <laughs> what are you making of the of the Swedish class of uh, of 2021? Yeah, I mean, while you're while you're spending all your time, Wings fans, watching all of the Red Wings prospects, take note of these five guys because I expect all five of these guys to go in the first round. There's even a, a potential couple of other guys who uh, could go in the first round also from the Fralunda team. So really, the Fralunda J20 team is just absolutely loaded right now. Um, Ed, Edvinson's a guy who's projected to potentially go in the top 10. You know, he's a big boomer bust defenseman, uh, very much willing to go one on five, Sometimes doesn't always make the smartest pass, but you can see all the tools are there. The elite talent is there. Um, you know, Fabian Lysel, I think, is a very heady winger. I think he's a very solid player. Again, another guy who could potentially go in the top 10. And then really the other guy, you know, William Eklund, I think is the guy not enough people are talking about, um, but already playing in the SHL, already playing for Drew Garden, uh, playing 16 minutes a night. I mean, we talked about how little Alexander Holtz and, and Lucas Raymond played last year. You know, playing 16 minutes a night and scoring about 2.3, 2.4 points per 60 uh, with a 60% Corsi 4 percentage at 5-on-5, five five, that's really impressive. Now, it's only eight games, um, but he's a guy I really want to make sure you have your eye on. Uh, he's, he's center, you can play wing, uh, really solid player overall. He's a guy to keep your eyes on. And then, you know, I have to bring him up because he's going to get talked about it. But Jesper Walsh, that's... Uh, you know, considered to be one of the most technically proficient goalies uh, that has come out. You know, when everyone talked about Askarov this past year, it was the athleticism. It was the ability to make the incredible save. You saw all those clips of just the splits, the the crazy glove saves, that just sheer athleticism. Wallstead is almost the robot who is very technically sound, very proficient, very steady, moves well, already playing in the SHL, through three games as a 945 save percentage, which is insane. Um, however, remember, we don't draft goalies in the first round, so just forget about him. But I just I had to say the name so that I tried. All right. Um, uh, one note on Eklund. So he is older for the class. He's October tw- 2002, so he's really only a month from being in the last draft class. But I don't know that it's that big a concern if he keeps up this production rate that it should really discount him because he's producing fairly close to Alexander Holtz, who was in the last draft. Uh, and if he's able to do that um, while still in his draft year, even even as an older player, um, that's going to speak really highly of, of William Eklund. He's on the smaller side at 5'10", um, but again, if, if he's able to score like that in, in an SHL, in a men's league, in one of the world's best men's leagues, um, it shouldn't really matter. The only thing might be he is another winger, um, and the Red Wings have gone winger maybe a, a couple times here, two of the last three years. You probably would like to see them take a center or a D in the next draft, in my opinion. Uh, but great players are great players, and uh, I guess you got to find them wherever they exist. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair, and especially with the upcoming kind of 2021 draft and the number of defensemen that are going to be available. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about Edmondson. There's Carson Lambos. There's Owen Power. There's Luke, Luke Hughes. I mean, there's you know, the names go on and on and on. I mean, there's Daniel Chaika. So, so many guys available that are just great defensemen. 
it will be hard to pass on the defenseman for a guy like Eklund. But, you know, if he continues to play at this level, uh, he is absolutely a guy you want to keep your eyes on. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to talk about uh, in in Sweden before we wrap up uh, this episode? That's all I got. So uh, enjoy uh, watching all the Swedes out there over the next few days. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We'll be back at you. Likely the next time will be when there is some contract news on Tyler Bertuzzi or Anthony Mantha. Um, That could actually happen really any second, maybe even before this comes out. So if that's the case, I don't know what we'll do. But we'll be here regardless either way. uh, And thanks a ton for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.